Welcome to the Nelson Show, this Halloween edition. <laughs> Even though it is Halloween weekend, this is uh, not going to start off very scary. Actually, uh, I wanted to talk about a movie that we just recently watched called Facing the Giants. Now, it's a pretty, uh, it's a good movie. Faith-based, it's kind of about a high school, well, it is, not kind of, it is about a high school football coach that's trying to figure out how to get his team to come together. He's trying to save his job doesn't know what's going on so he starts looking to God to help him out and in doing that he ends up praying trying to figure out how, how do I what do I what do you want me to do God what do you want me to do and the Giants in this are this football team you know these big kids they've been destroying everybody you know they go to the state championship every year so in the short of it all, God has him basically saying, hey, you know what, all the praise belongs to me, and he starts to understand that. So, he kind of takes that to his kids on the football team, and basically tells them, look, win or lose, our praise goes to God. And they all agree that, yeah, okay, that sounds like a plan. Let's do that. But, you know, they've got all these doubts and stuff as well. So he's got to figure out a way to get them past all that. And eventually, you know, the, the, the most part of the story is they turn, they turn the league around and, you know, they go to win the state championship and beat the Giants. But during that movie, there's a part where the coach is in his locker room office or whatever doing coach stuff. And uh, I guess the school, a lot of the kids from the school are all out on the field praying for each other and all this other stuff. And the other coach comes in and is like, hey, have you seen what's going on out here? And he's like, oh, what do you mean? You know, I've been in here in my office doing stuff. But it was after, it was that part of the movie. So I've always questioned, I guess, why would an all-powerful God need us to praise him endlessly and give him all the grace and everything. And at that moment, uh, I guess you call it an epiphany kind of hit me. I was like, oh, I get it now. It's like, to me, it seems like, okay, we need to humble ourselves and understand that this is not all about us. So he's asking us to humble ourselves and praise him, the creator, for everything we have. And just like the coach said, win or lose, we give the glory to God. And a lot of the times I think we lose perspective on why certain things happen. And uh, a lot of people, I think, blame their problems on God. <laughs> you know, falsely, I mean, everybody's going to have problems. And it just depends on how you work through those. But it was just a... One of those things that just, I felt this stuff come down over me as I was watching that show. I was like, oh, now I get it. <laughs> I was like, now I get it. So I was just kind of a story I'd like to share here at the first. Uh, but it was also kind of interesting because we just watched that Saturday. We went to church on Sunday. 
and uh, you know there there was something definitely working there because the pastor was talking about Goliath, David and Goliath, and it's like you know facing the giant, and uh, it was just kind of crazy how it all came together. But it really, you know, it just goes to show that we don't have control over anything. <laughs> We can just navigate it the best we can. But either way, we still got to give the basically all the glory to God. And with that, I want to just go into a, another story here that I found a, an article about. Um, just saying, how tall was Goliath? And it's uh, about a textual dilemma. So kind of the same thing, you know, people are questioning, I guess, why the text here says this and why the text over there says that. So this is just hopefully maybe kind of understand why it's that way. So the need for textual criticism. Sherlock Holmes said there's nothing like first-hand evidence. Unfortunately, the original documents, technically called autographs of the Old Testament, books all perished due to time and natural causes. But they did not disappear before scribes copied them and then later scribes copied those copies and on and on. We therefore possess only copies of the originals, and what is more, our copies differ to varying degrees when compared to one another. Almost every ancient book is in this situation. The original is lost and only different manuscript copies remain. However, through the discipline of textual criticism, we can have a high degree of certainty as to the content of the original Old Testament manuscripts. Avid English Bible readers have already encountered the differences in our manuscripts. Most have seen the solid line that appears after Mark 16:8 or John 7:52, with a note saying something like, This passage does not appear in some of the earliest manuscripts. Most differences between manuscripts are not as notorious, but English Bibles do often indicate the important differences or variance between manuscripts in their footnotes. Textual criticism is a discipline that seeks to recover the original wording of an ancient book by examining the remaining ancient copies of that book. Our first-hand evidence, therefore, consists of Hebrew manuscripts and important ancient translations or versions in the Greek, Latin, Syriac, and Aramaic languages. We refer to these manuscripts as and versions as witnesses, asking them what they can tell us about the history of the text of the Hebrew Bible. Practicing Textual Criticism In 1 Samuel 17.4, several English translations report that, the Goliath, that Goliath stood six cubits and a span, or about nine feet nine inches tall. And the ESV, for example, includes a footnote after six saying, Hebrew, Septuagint, Dead Sea Scroll, and Josephus 4. This note indicates that the Hebrew has six, while other sources report a shorter Goliath at four cubits in a span, or six feet nine inches tall. The former is a real giant. The later, or the latter, is shorter than Shaquille O'Neal and many other people. Most readers may not know what terms such as Hebrew or Septuagint mean in the English Bible footnotes, and fewer still realize how difficult the decision between six and four is. Which reading is right? Let's analyze the sources and then ask how each reading probably arose. Sources on Goliath's height. Reading, six cubits and a span. Witness, uh, MT, whatever that means. The three, Valjut, uh, Peshita, Targum. 
and then the reading of four cubits in a span witnesses four q sam l x x l josephus antiquities 6.171 um, okay so hopefully it explains that here the mt and its normal witnesses support the nine feet nine inches goliath since the three the Vagut, the Peshitta, and the Targum usually agree with the MT. Nothing stands out as abnormal. One of the Dead Sea Scrolls and some important Greek manuscripts, along with the testimony of Josephus, present Goliath as six feet nine inches tall. There are two options for how these readings arose. One, an unintentional scribal mistake, or two, an intentional scribal change. If we suggest that the original reading was four cubits, then a scribe's eye could have skipped to verse 7, to the place where Goliath's spear head is said to weigh 600 shekels. Perhaps the scribe anticipated copying the 600 in verse 7, and then copied six cubits instead of four in verse 4. But that explanation requires the scribe's eye to skip farther down the column than normal for this kind of mistake. Thus, could this instant be a type of exact executal or free copying I probably butchered that word I'm pretty sure I did <laughs> let's suppose still that the original reading was four cubits and that a scribe intentionally changed it to six cubits why this change would have made David's victory over Goliath far more impressive but could this explanation work in other direction from six to four cubits yes why would a scribe shrink Goliath a 6'9 Goliath, still by ancient standards, probably matched Saul's own physical stature. Note that 1 Sam 9-2 describes Saul as taller than his countrymen. Thus, in this case, a scribe might have been further underscoring Saul's lack of courage by pitting him a tall man against an enemy closer to his own height. We cannot be certain of the original text here, although the 6-9 Goliath has the earlier and perhaps better external evidence. The 9-9 Goliath is probably more likely original because a later scribe probably found a contextual reason, 1 Sam 9-2, to shorten Goliath to 6-9. This problem doesn't influence theology, but it can affect our reading of the narrative and certainly affects the depictions of Goliath in our children's ministry curricula, depending on which reading we choose. A beautiful textual mosaic. Varied witnesses tell the story of the Old Testament next or text. However, we don't need to despair over the situation. Rather, we should hear all of the witnesses that Providence has preserved for us in these diverse ways and texts so that we can appreciate the various contours and lines contributing to the beautiful textual mosaic that we have. God providentially superintended the preservation of his revelation through normal, arduous work of ancient scribes and translators. Some scribes were more careful than others. Some translators produced more literal translations, while others created more dynamic ones. Some scribes intervened more than others in the copying process. God used all of these normal human means to pass down his word faithfully. Textual criticism allows us to appreciate this complex and beautiful textual mosaic and also to restore the original wording of the text. Textual critics continue to work hard today in many areas of the biblical text history, and fundamentally their work provides pastors, teachers, and Bible translators with the most reliable wording of the text so they can faithfully communicate the word of God to his people. And then again, it goes through all the uh, people that got to back up all this stuff. And, and I always got other articles here, but I'm not going to get into that. So anyway, why am I bringing this up? Because you know the story of David and Goliath. 
And I think now in this day and age, we just have a different Goliath. And unfortunately, it seems like at some times it can be ourselves. <laughs> Although we don't want to kill ourselves, obviously, like David did to Goliath. But we have to find ways and the courage to beat these giants. And the only way to do that is to go to God. Ask him how do we do it. And giving him the praise for all the things in our lives, good or bad, that we can learn the lessons from those and move on in a better way. So, with the rest of this podcast, I'm going to kind of go into the parts of Goliath. And a lot of that ends up being that world governments would love to just control us and or wipe us off the face of the earth into their little whatever psychotic fiction of reality they live in, I guess. Uh, all in the the non... I think they kind of just have gone away from God. And that's what directs them now, is their own humanly desires, I guess. I mean, you start seeing this everywhere. It's not just in our governments. Just the over-sexualization of everything, the, the transgenderism. Um, I think it's just humans not believing in a god and believing in, I guess, their, their godliness humanism, if that makes any sense. Right, if you kind of look at everything that's going on, on around the world, are, are they looking to better humanity or take us to an apocalyptic event? And with that, I'm going to take a quick break here. And we'll be right back. So, I don't know if any of you guys grew up with Paul Harvey around. My dad used to listen to that on the AM radio all the time. Uh, pretty pretty insightful guy for his time. But uh, he had a little piece called If I Were the Devil. And just listen to his words here. I'm, I don't know if you've maybe heard this before. But still to this day, I mean, he was a, ahead of his time. Or, you know, maybe even at, during his time, this was still relevant, I would, I'm guessing, you know, that's probably where he came up with it, but even more so today, this part is called, If I Were the Devil. If I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness, and I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I have seized the ripest apple on the tree, the... So I set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of the serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve. Do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. 
and he will not teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. And then I get organized. I educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher readings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect the discipline of emotions. Just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing. I'd have judges promoting pornography. Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who want it until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. What do you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Huh. Does that not sound like the times we are in right now? And, uh, you know, media in general seems to be like they don't care so all that stuff is i mean try and go and find clean movies that you can watch as a family with your kids unless you just don't care what they see or what they ingest i mean i have a hard enough time with a lot of these so-called reality shows that uh we actually see in our society and I don't know if it's just the drama that goes on with these shows that intrigues people. It drives me nuts. I was like, these people are train wrecks and need help. They don't need to be on a freaking TV show encouraging what's going on. But, you know, as long as everybody keeps uh, turn, turning on that TV and watching, they'll keep producing it. So therein lies part of the problem. <laughs> so with that... I mean, I hope that makes complete sense, what he said. And I think that was even clear back in the 80s. You know, like that was forever ago. <laughs> well, if you lived in the 80s, it seemed like forever ago. <laughs> uh, anyways, so 
we'll get into some other stories here. So Seth Rich was a guy that somehow uh, suicided himself. And people have been trying to find out some answers. Because supposedly he was one of those people that had a lot of dirt on the DNC and Hillary Clinton at the time. And somehow shot himself in the back of the head. So, with the Freedom of Information Act, they've been trying to get information. But, under the new direction of uh, Christopher Ray, he's asking the court for 66 years to release information from Seth Rich's computer. Because that guy had a treasure trove of dirt on probably very powerful people. And you know what happened? Just like Jeffrey Epstein, they somehow... Suicide yourself. <laughs> In strange ways, it shouldn't be humanly possible to do. So, this story goes on. The FBI is asking a U.S. court to reverse its order that it produce information from Seth Rich's laptop computer. Now, why would the FBI just want to keep hiding this? I mean, I know if there's a lot of information on there, you got to designate people to go through and make sure it's not giving out sensitive information. I get that part of it. But, why have a Freedom of Information Act if you can't get the information out of it? <laughs> so, a lot of this is kind of ridiculous, but I, I, I get it. They, you know, they need to sort through it and make sure there's not sensitive stuff that's going to get turned over to somebody. But, at the same time, we, need to, we want to know the information on there. And I think people are getting tired of the secrecy of our government and the institutions. So, it says, Rich was a Democratic National Committee staffer when he was killed on a street in Washington in mid-2016. No person has ever been arrested in connection to the murder. U.S. District, District Judge Amos Mazant, an Obama appointee, ruled in September that the Bureau must hand over information from the computer to Brian Huddleston, a Texas man who filed the Freedom of Information Act request for the info. The FBI's assertion that the privacy interest Rich's family members hold outweighed the public interest was rejected by, by Mazant, who noted the Bureau cited no relevant case law supporting the argument. But the ruling was erroneous, U.S. lawyers said in a new filing. The Bureau shouldn't have to produce the information because FOIA exemptions for information that are compiled for law enforcement purposes and could reasonably be expected to disclose the identity of a confidential source. The lawyer said in a motion for reconsideration. Another exemption which enables agencies to withhold information that would disclose law enforcement techniques also applies, they said. Given the court's findings that except for the information related to Seth Rich's laptop withheld pursuant to exemptions 6 and 7C based on privacy interests, the FBI properly withheld or redacted all other information responsive to Huddleston's requests. The production order seems inconsistent with the rest of the order, the motion stated. The FBI, after claiming it never possessed Rich's laptop or any information from it, acknowledged in 2020 that it had thousands of files from the computer. Does anybody see what the problem here is? It's okay for them to lie to us left and right, but if you go and lie to them once, man, you better hold on because they're going to freaking slam you. I mean, you might be lucky to see the day of light again out of a prison cell. The Bureau is currently working on getting the files from Seth Rich's personal laptop into a format to be reviewed, the government said at the time. 
Information and material extracted from the computer were provided by a source to an FBI agent during a meeting on March 15, 2018, FBI Records Officer Michael Seidel said in a declaration. He said the files included photographs and documents, among other material. In the new filing, government lawyers said the FBI never extracted the data, which it revealed as originating with a law enforcement agency. They said the information is on a compact disk containing images of the, of the laptop. Okay, so what's so hard about that? It's already on disk. The FBI did not open an investigation into the murder of Seth Rich, nor did it provide investigative or technical, technical assistance to any investigation into the murder of Seth Rich. As a result, the FBI has never extracted the data from the compact disk and never processed the information contained on the disk, they said. To produce the information, the FBI would have to convert information on the disk into pages and then review the pages to redact information per FOIA according to the government. If Mazant upholds his order, the FBI wants a lengthy period of time to perform the work, 66 years or 500 pages a month. If the court overrules the FBI's motion, the FBI wants to produce records at a rate of 500 pages per month. At that rate, it will take almost 67 years just to produce the documents, never mind the images and other files, Ty Clevenger, a lawyer representing Huddleston, told the Epic Times in an email. After dealing with the FBI for five years, I now assume that the FBI is lying to me unless it Unless and until it proves otherwise, the FBI is desperately trying to hide records about Seth Rich, and that begs the question of why. Well, just like every other time they're trying to hide evidence, it's, you know, probably pretty incriminating on higher-ups. <laughs> WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange has suggested Rich leaked Democratic National Committee files to WikiLeaks, but special counsel Robert Mueller said the real source was Russian hackers. Of course. Still, Mueller's finding conflicts with statements from CrowdStrike, the firm hired to investigate how the DNC files were released. Now, Robert Mueller used to be the uh, head of the FBI back in the day, so, you know, who knows? Maybe he gets indicted into that, I don't know. We don't know, because they just don't let us know, you know. we It's not important enough for us to know what dirty stuff they're doing. <laughs> uh, that's a pretty good story there, but anyways... Um, what else we got here? Judge. Okay, so here's another kind of strange story. Judge dismisses charge against a former DEA agent who trespassed at Capitol on January 6th. A federal judge has dismissed a charge against a former U.S. drug enforcement. So he's former. He's not even supposedly. Maybe, maybe it, now he's not, but maybe at the time he was. So a U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration agent who was still working for the administration when he went on to U.S. Capitol grounds on January 6, 2021. U.S. District Judge Timothy Kelly, a Trump appointee on October 27, tossed a charge of lying to the government for Mark, for Mark Ibrahim, Ibrahim, the former DEA agent. The charge said that Ibrahim did willfully and knowingly make materially false, fictitious, and fraudulent statements and representations in a criminal matter in the District of Columbia by telling a government agent that he did not knowingly expose his firearm and DEA badge while on Capitol grounds. And I don't know what the picture is here. Okay, so there's a picture here showing him uh, outside the Capitol on January 6th. He's carrying a flag. And he's got his badge on his side and his pistol next to it, you know, on his hip. 
and why I don't know if he's just adjusting his uh, jacket he's wearing or what happened and somebody happened to take a picture of him or he was doing it for a picture off I don't know who knows who knows because there's so much crap there that we still don't know oh so frustrating I mean these these are the giants that uh, are lining up and nobody knows how to fight them it's a problem and unfortunately they're the ones that still make law that we supposedly have to keep following <laughs> So, let's see here. I don't know, you know, I'm not even going to go into that story. Just due to the fact that... Um, let's see here. What else we got? Nothing there, don't look like. And... Over 20 million have voted so far ahead of the 2022 midterms. Now, I'm going to be really curious to see what comes out here in a couple weeks as far as how these elections go. So if we've got over 20 million so far that have, you know, could, I received a mail-in ballot, everything was legit on it, and I sent it in. I filled it out, sent it in. And I don't have a problem with that if the people, or, you know, these ballots that are being printed out are actually going to real people and people that are actually, you know, not dead, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> or haven't moved out of the out of a certain jurisdiction, you know, where they should even be voting, or you know, the voting records are the biggest problem. They don't get cleaned up. So when you start doing these absentee ballots and whatever else, you know, people may or may not even request them sometimes. There's just all kinds of funky stuff going on. But if some more stuff goes, I mean, and there are going to be some contested areas. I'm, I'm about positive of it. You got Stacey Abrams in Georgia again that, you know, still thinks she's the go, should be the rightful governor of Georgia, even though she lost. You know, and they keep telling us, oh, you guys are uh, always denying the results of the elections when, when they win. And there's maybe questions, you know. But even still, even still, I'm going to say it. There are still a lot of questions that I have about what happened in 2020 with the presidential election. And nobody seems to want to get to the bottom of it. Just, oh, move on. Nothing to see here. And to go along with that, here, let me get in here to my, my Instagram. That's where I keep all my good stuff. <laughs> I get in here to saved files. Where are we here? I'm really surprised, you know, uh, Meta hasn't really cracked down on the stuff that goes on on uh, Instagram, since they are owned by Meta. Facebook, Meta, you know, the, the whole Meta Metaverse. They want you engulfed into the Metaverse, so take your brain off of what's really going on, and they can just kind of do whatever they want. And always paying attention. Uh, it was what? Hillary Clinton, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Where is she? Um, oh, maybe it's this one. Oh, yeah, here it is. On the 2022 midterm elections, and they are incredibly important. But we also have to look ahead because you know what? Our opponents certainly are. Right wing extremists already have a plan to literally steal the next presidential election, and they're not making a secret of it. The right-wing controlled Supreme Court may be poised to rule 
on giving state legislatures, yes, you heard me that correctly, state legislatures the power to overturn presidential elections. Just think, if that happens, the 2024 presidential election could be decided not by the popular vote or even by the anachronistic electoral college, but by state legislatures, many of them Republican-controlled. Setting it up. So if they lose, and lose badly, they more than likely will because President Joe Biden is a disaster. And anybody that freaking doesn't have a blindfold on can see that. I mean, the poor guy realistically should just be living out the rest of his life in comfort at his home and not with the stresses of what comes with being a president of the United States. Because he says a lot of stupid stuff. I mean, granted, Trump said a lot of stupid stuff too, but uh, Biden's got him beat by a long ways. So there's Hillary Clinton setting it up. That these right-wing, you know, because that was the, the whole thing. The, you know, right-wing extremists, MAGA Republicans are threat to our democracy. Uh, no, well, they are. They're, we're a threat to democracy, but it's the only people that are going to save the republic. Because I don't know where these, you know, these people would love to have a democracy because then they would rule. But in a republic where we, the people, are supposed to have the power and not our elected officials, then things are a little bit different. And there's also uh, Gabby Gifford, or not Gabby Gifford, she's the one that got shot, and Mark Kelly's wife. Um, I'm drawing a blank here. The, the ex-senator from Hawaii. Anyways, here's your clip. I've got to believe that Thomas Jefferson was thinking about these cowardly, fearful leaders when he said they prefer the calm of despotism to the boisterous sea of liberty. They're afraid of the freedom that empowers each and every one of us to seek the truth, to speak freely, to question their decisions and their authority. They're afraid of losing power knowing full well the intent of our founders when they wrote in the Declaration of Independence that governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, and that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it's the right of the people to alter or abolish it and institute a new government. A government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Now, she just recently left the Democrat Party because she was just like, you know what, they have gone freaking off the rails. And she, when she ran for president, they, uh, well, Hillary Clinton essentially attacked her, saying that she's a Russian asset. Which essentially is what happened to Mike Lee here in Utah with Evan McMullen saying he's a Russian I mean, the only people that is going to buy into this are their little brain dead. They're going to vote for the blue or anybody else versus a Republican no matter what because they they can't think for themselves type of mentality uh, that buy into that kind of stuff. I mean, if somebody is saying, oh, they're a Russian asset, <laughs> uh, I'm sure our military would have found that out because I'm pretty sure she's still active military. But that was, uh, why can I not remember her name? I'm having 
major brain brain lapse here. Uh, okay. And even though my Republican friends in Congress seem to be hoping for a recession, many of them, present company excluded. Today, the GDP results came out. The economy, in fact, is growing. In fact, the economy grew at 2.6% rate last quarter. And although it may not feel like it for everyone, people's incomes went up last quarter more than inflation went up. And enough growth. So economic growth is up. The price of inflation is down. Real incomes are, on, going, are up. And the price of gas is down. Folks, continue to spend but now at a more stable pace than during our rapid recovery last year. Businesses continue to invest in America. Exports are up, which means we're making things here in America and shipping the products overseas instead of shipping jobs overseas and sending them back here. Supply chains are running more smoothly, helping companies build up inventories. Here's another thing. My predecessor promised, and you heard it for four years, infrastructure week seemingly every week for four years, but it never got done. It became a punchline when you talk about Infrastructure Week. Well, on my watch, we turned Infrastructure Week into the decade of infrastructure and a headline. A once-in-a-generation investment in our nation's roads, highways, bridges, railroads, ports, airports, water systems, high-speed Internet. And the American people are seeing the benefits of this economy that works for them. Families have more net worth today than they did before the pandemic. Fewer families are behind in their mortgages, their credit card bills, than they were before the pandemic. More Americans health insurance. More Americans have health insurance than before the pandemic. And we're doing everything we can to give folks just a little bit, and my dad would say, just a little bit of breathing room. We're giving Medicare the power to negotiate lower drug prices. Wow, I'd love to know what kind of alternate reality that guy lives in. I know he's just reading a teleprompter there, so you know, his handlers are actually telling him what to think and what to say. Because I don't know very many people that think, oh yeah, I make more money now when the economy is in the freaking turd. So, I mean, this is just a prime example of gaslighting because they don't have any other options. They've gone total, total full bore to killing out fossil fuels, the net zero people, you know, that's, they've been touting this for years now, that if we do not stop climate change, the two degrees Celsius, we're all going to die. I mean, AOC was using that line forever, you know, talking to all her lackeys, and they all believe it. Oh, we got 12 years to live if we do not turn this around. It's like, how many people are buying that yes I agree that our seasons and stuff are, are changing but the little amount that I think it's associated being man made I think is very minuscule but not trying to get off track there let's get on to something else here what else do I got on here um... we've warned you about Black Lives Matter we told you that it was a fraudulent movement trying to make money off the backs of dead black people. 
And we were called all kinds of names, racial slurs, threatened. I had friends cut me out of their lives because I didn't support Black Lives Matter. There was a woke pastor that let his congregation members call me a right-wing piece of because I didn't support Black Lives Matter. When I was a public school teacher, they sent me a lesson to teach the kids about Black Lives Matter, and guess what? I didn't teach it. I'm not going to turn my classroom into a propaganda machine. Am I mad? Yes, I am mad. You know how many people died at those protests while you guys were cheering them on? One billion dollars in damages? All of you guys, all of you guys that were supporting Black Lives Matter, you, you need to wake up. This is what it looks like to start fighting that giant. Because, like I say, they've got a lot of money behind them. And, uh, you know, uh, Candace Owens supposedly has a thing out. You know, he's, they make it difficult. I wish I could just go. It's from Daily Wire. Candace Owens works for Daily Wire. And she did an investigative, like, documentary about Black Lives Matter. And she was outspoken about it from the get-go. And, you know, all the people is like, oh, it's Black Lives Matter or nothing. You can't say all lives matter. Because it's, it's taken away from our movement. It's like, your movement is destroying cities. Uh, yeah, I think we want to take away your power to that. <laughs> but it goes on to about, you know, interviewing people. It's like, so, you know, is your city any better off from when Black Lives Matter came through here doing their protests? And... All of them are like, no, it's worse here. And there's still signs of the damages they caused after leaving. And the founders are the ones that walked away with all the money. <laughs> and who knows through, because like I said, I went to their website just to, because I'd heard the rumors like, oh yeah, if you go and try and donate to Black Lives Matter, it takes you to here. And sure enough, it takes you to Act Blue which is Democrat raising money raising platform. So basically if you donated to Black Lives Matter, you had to go through the Act of Blue and then they decide where all that money goes. It doesn't go to the Black Lives Matter organization. So I think somehow it's some kind of money laundering scheme, but you know how that goes. They're uh, one of the preferred groups, so you know special privileges and all that stuff. So nothing will ever happen to them. Um, let's see here. Oh, so many good ones here. Let's go to this one. At a time where it appears that we are on the precipice of a potential war, already engaged in a proxy war, your denunciation of the Democrat Party as a warmongering party seems even more damning than it ordinarily might. Are we in a proxy war right now with Russia? And I say we as a meaning sort of like the West. And how, how how high do you regard the potential that this could escalate into something even more serious? We are absolutely in a proxy war uh, with Russia, with unfortunately the people of Ukraine uh, being the ones sacrificed in this proxy war. Uh, this is not a war that has uh, the United States efforts to go to war with Russia to remove Putin uh, from his regime uh, didn't start with his invasion of Ukraine. This is something that's been building and going on for years and years. This is why I ran for president in 2020, because I saw the writing on the wall of this new Cold War 
building, these tensions growing, and where a Cold War leads, a Cold War very quickly can turn into a hot war. And when we're talking about two nuclear-armed countries, the two most powerful nuclear-armed countries in the world, Russia having over 6,000 nuclear warheads, the United States having over 5,000 nuclear warheads, uh, we are talking about the existential threat of nuclear war. The Biden administration has at every opportunity, rather than taking advantage of uh, negotiations between Russian officials and Ukrainian officials, seeing, hey, where do we find this window of opportunity to be a voice for peace, to truly help the people of Ukraine by uh, pushing for a negotiated agreement that would end this war. Uh, instead of doing that, the Biden administration has instead chosen to escalate this war at every opportunity, throwing tens of billions of American taxpayer dollars towards Ukraine and through weapons and trying to escalate this war, pushing us to the point where, you know, the uh, Bulletin of Atomic Scientists and other experts say that we are at a greater risk of nuclear catastrophe now than ever since the Cuban Missile Crisis. We're seeing, as you, sh as you showed, Russia is, is testing their nuclear capabilities. Um, the United States has just... Uh, I guess it had a show of force with their hypersonic ballistic missile capabilities. Uh, both sides put edging and rushing closer and closer towards the brink of nu nuclear disaster, which doesn't just affect the people of Ukraine. This is why I've been talking about this everywhere I go. We, the United States, you there in the UK, people around the world are the ones who will be directly affected by a potential World War III and nuclear war. Tulsi Gabbard. I know you guys were probably just yelling at me through the, the radio going, it's Tulsi Gabbard, you idiot. <laughs> Not Gabby Gifford. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I I do that all the time, too. Cause, and it's just the Gabbard part. And for whatever reason, I my brain mixes it all up. But it's Tulsi Gabbard. So she's been in Congress. She knows the ins and outs of that massive place up there. Uh, so... <laughs> She has she has merit, is what I'm saying. And for a Democrat, especially, she's like the only one in that party right now that is making any sense. And you know, I mean, if it came down to her and like someone like Hillary Clinton, I mean, and she's pretty well spoken. She's not trying to call her opponent a Russian asset. Uh, but if it was her and Hillary Clinton, there's no way. I'd vote for Hillary Clinton. And I don't agree on everything that Tulsi Gabbard, you know, wants to do. But she's at least sane. <laughs> um, let's see here. What else we got here? Um, no, 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 no. Oh, if I ran... No, not that one. Oh yeah. So supposedly, PayPal, Pay, PayPal, <laughs> PayPal has quietly put back their twenty-five hundred dollar fine on people for misinformation. They just waited for the attention to die down, and then they popped it right back into the terms of service. So if you use PayPal, and uh, I, you know, I don't know where they're finding. Out if you're spreading misinformation or not, I don't, or who and what determines misinformation these days, because it seems like, you know, truth 
is supposed to be misinformation, and misinformation is truth. So, in this upside-down world we live in, boy, it is just crazy. Um, let me see here. What else we got here? No fun book of Instagram. Um, let's see. Here's Nancy Pelosi. For the children. It's always about the children. When did you think that Nancy Pelosi was about anything other than children? Was it when her husband, Paul Pelosi, invested $5 million in Alphabet? That's, of course, a parent company of Google. Is that when you thought she didn't care about children? Or when Paul Pelosi suddenly invested a million dollars in Tesla shares right after the Biden administration delivered his plans to shift towards electronic vehicles? Is that when you thought she maybe had some priorities other than children? They children or it was it when you saw her literally elbowing children was it this moment that made you think that nancy pelosi cared about something other than children yeah and there she is just caring for that child she's got she's given it such a caring for that child isn't she that is what nancy pelosi does if a child has the common decency to step into her immediate orbit <laughs> and he's talking about uh the I don't remember who it was, a mayor or something like that, She that got elected somewhere, a Democrat lady, and her kids are up there, and they're, I'm pretty sure they're Hispanic, but she totally just elbows this, you know, while she's got that fake grin smile on her face, and just totally elbows this little girl away from her, like, I can't believe you're close enough to touch me, but she's all about the children, it's always about the children, oh. Lady drives me insane. She is the exact picture of what is wrong with Washington these days. And so, okay, so uh, I heard a story from Glenn Beck. I was listening to one of his podcasts the other day, and he had a perfect analogy of Washington right now. So I guess I don't remember which, where it was exactly, but he was talking about how they decided they was going to, uh, oh, it was, the, it was the government of some country or whatever, was going to, they was having a problem with rats. So they kind of put like a bounty on rats. So people were like, oh, there's a way to make some money. You know, we'll go start killing these rats and turn them in for money from the government. And then what eventually the unattended consequences of it was that these rat farms started being created because eventually you know they started with all these massive piles of rats that people were turning in so like okay what about just just bring us the tails you know to collect your bounty on these rats so and that's where you know and entrepreneurs and different people were like oh geez i can you know these rats have super quick gestation periods on babies so let's just start raising rats and then we'll cut their tails off and but you know because you cut the tail off they can still breed they don't, they don't die because you cut their tail off. So, these smart people that understood how the system works, instead of having to go down in the sewers to catch these rats, all they did was breed them at home, cut their tails off, go turn in the tails for the bounty. And so, the swamp continues to grow. And that's the part of the problem with Washington right now, is they have all these programs and different things that people can essentially work the system and get their money from 
that all the rest of us have to pay into to support. And it's not it's not those people's fault. They're just doing what the government's offering. But it never got rid of the rat problem. And unfortunately, that's kind of what Washington is these days. It's uh, turning into a bunch of rats. <laughs> I thought it was kind of an inter interesting analogy to put it that way, but it pretty was spot on. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, yeah. So here's another Here's another crazy thing that's going on these days is I don't know if you've heard about the implants that you can get in your hand that you can pay for stuff with. So you don't even need to have like a, a wallet anymore. Everything about you is in this chip that implants in the top of your hand. And this guy's got an account with a TikTok account and he's filming himself going around and, you know, buying stuff, at, uh, a candy machine and uh, at a store, different places, and just using his hand, you know, and people are kind of like looking at him funny, he's like, how, how did you just pay for that with the top of your hand? But that's where we're going with some of these technologies. I mean, it's, it's bad enough that we're going to be forced into a digital dollar because, you know, that our, our raging economy, you know, it's doing so good that the Fed has to keep raising interest rates to try and slow down inflation. But, you know, Joe Biden is just reading his teleprompter. You know, everything's fine. It's way better than it was when Trump was here. Just no joke, man. No joke. <laughs> and if you're fully vaccinated, get one more COVID shot once a year. That's it. And if you're fully vaccinated, get one more COVID shot once a year. That's it. Does that make any sense? <laughs> they told us that when they first pushed those things on everybody. It's like, you know what? Just just give me a needle of heroin. And just once a year, I'll just, you know, shoot myself up with heroin. That's probably better than that stupid COVID shot. I mean, for some people, maybe it's working, but we're just a bunch of lab rats with that stuff. That's realistically all that is. I mean, if you took it and it, it worked for you and you've been fine then great. I hope everything is fine. But the long-term effects of this stuff is still unknown. And that's the scary part. And like I said, I've talked about it once before that uh, Obama was at a speech and essentially let the cat out of the bag, you know, and he kind of had that look on his face like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. But then he just kept a cool face and kept going on with the speech that essentially, yeah, we've Given this to billions of people, you know, and it's essentially a clinical trial. It's like, oh, well, usually you do that before you start injecting it into people everywhere. <laughs> but, you know, that's the Emergency Authorization Act. Um, let's see, what else have we got here? Guess what? PayPal just reinstated their $2,500 misinformation fine even after their stock plummeted and they've lost so many users they are still moving forward with this agenda public square has you covered instead try one of these freedom loving payment processors they're not going to censor you they're not going to find you they're going to respect you for your beliefs and your values i refuse to be treated like a criminal because i have a different opinion than the system says that i should have 
Good points. Good points. There are alternatives, like I've talked about before, too. We need to get a secondary parallel economy. Because these these companies have so much influence over everything. You know, PayPal's entwined into everything uh, with Google, um, eBay, a lot of places. They want you to have an account through them, all kinds of stuff. But just like a lot of these big banks, if you step out of line, boy, we're going to hammer you. So if you can, like I say, you need to start paying attention to that stuff. And this is all parts of fighting the giants. As a metaphor, anyways. So, let's see. What else we got here? Um, Dear establishment elites, for two years you've ruined our lives, destroyed our freedoms, and tried to indoctrinate our children. Enjoy the last few days of control over us. On November 8th, we're taking back our liberty and lives. Signed, we the people. Yeah, that's a good statement. I like that one. Um, let's see. What else we got here? Uh, I'll just start clicking on these because I don't. What the, it just gives me a picture. I don't know what's really pretty much there. Oh yeah, the crazy. I don't know if you've seen any of these crazy climate activists in Europe right now. They're destroying paintings and stuff, including their hands to the wall. <laughs> uh, complete nut jobs. But hey, you know what? We're all a little crazy somewhere. You know, might as well just throw soup on a priceless painting and glue our hand to the wall. Just stop oil. These activists are smashing the King Charles wax sculpture with cake. Oh, I get it now. Just stop oil. It's a piece of cake, and they're smashing cake in the wax figure. their freaking minds because they've bought into the we're all gonna die in 12 years mentality if we don't stop using oil oh you know what i here once again i think it's got to be the lack of understanding or thought process of believing that there's a god that created everything i mean people can't break down the fact of the smallest atoms that create things to the biggest stars in the universe of how complex all this stuff is but it all seems to somehow work I don't believe that God would have put oil in the ground coal in the ground and not have us figure out how to use it to our benefit that that would be the the demise of us as well to have these resources, to keep our homes warm, to produce power at power plants, 
to have electricity, to have the, the stuff we have. I mean, will there be enough to always be there? Uh, who knows? Probably not, you know, I mean, it's not an infinite amount, but it's, you know, what what's the thickness of the Earth's crust? Like, roughly 25-ish miles or so? I mean, it's pretty thick. I don't know, maybe it's even thicker than that. I, I, I'm going to not go there with that because I don't, I don't know. But we cannot, with current technology, I guess, cannot dig that far to really find what other resources are down that deep. No, not only are the, the temperatures and stuff get hotter the deeper you go into the earth, but just the the sheer engineering marvel it would take to be able to mine this stuff. I mean, we have issues with just our coal mines as it is, and they're fairly shallow to their surface. And with that, there's also a, uh, I do believe it was on, might have been on Prime. Prime or Netflix, I don't remember, but it's about Noah and the floods and stuff and kind of how they think all of this stuff, how these natural resources got there and why there's all these bone graveyards, essentially, of dinosaurs and different stuff that it's been uh, fossilized was due to the, the Great Flood. And I don't know, like I say, if, if you don't believe in any of this stuff, the biblical stuff, then all of it just seems like a fairy tale, which is what they try and tell themselves. But there is, you know, plenty of evidence that seems to support a lot of that stuff. Um, let's see here. What's this one? And the fact is, is that uh, when I hear people talk about inflation, as I heard them there, we have to change that subject. Inflation is a global phenomenon. Yes. The EU, the European Union, the UK, the British have higher inflation rate than we do here. It's not, the fight is not about inflation. It's about the cost of living. Um, yeah, you jackwad. Inflation is causing the cost of living to go up. These people, I swear, they they live in alternate realities. Whether it's self-inflicted realities or whatever, they don't live in the same universe that we do. Uh, and it's a different place for people to have money versus people that have to scrimp by for what we do have. You know, and... Once again, I gotta I gotta give all the praise to God for all the stuff, all the many blessings that I've had in my life, in my family's life, you know, for my family, all that stuff. You know, I I've appreciated the short amount of time that I've had here, and the the pretty good life that I have had here on this life, in this planet. Um, but I I refuse to be a slave to other men other men, mankind, or ladies like Nancy Pelosi, however you want to look at it, because they're just psycho. They think that they know best for everyone else, and then they, they go on, face the nation, and spew garbage like that, hoping to save, save any kind of face that they have as a representative of the people, supposedly, I don't know how, how does San Francisco keep electing this lady? I mean, I think she's been in there like 37 some odd years, something like that. How? How does that happen? 
well, maybe maybe life's pretty good in San Francisco. They just figure, oh, she must be doing a good job. While everybody else in the rest of the country is getting basically screwed. <laughs> Uh, what's this one? An Oregon bar called Nick's Pub just released an ad on Facebook for an upcoming drag event where they used an 11-year-old as part of their advertisement. The ad included several pictures of the child in heavy makeup, fake cosmetics, wigs, and costumes. This child will be performing at the upcoming event alongside three other adult drag queens. They even say in this advertisement, this kid is here to show you what an 11-year-old drag queen can do. The thing about childhood is that every kid has a normal one because there's no frame of reference. What you put in front of them becomes their new normal. But there is nothing normal about this behavior. Just like there's nothing normal about taking a kid to Hooters or a strip club or any place that is overtly sexualized. But because drag shows occur under the banner of the LGBTQ movement, we aren't allowed to criticize it and call it out for what it is, which is the hypersexualization and grooming of young children. This is not about politics. This is about protecting children who are too vulnerable to protect themselves. We cannot stay silent and we cannot turn a blind eye to this abuse. It's time to say enough is enough. And that giant is getting bigger and bigger with the immorality in the nature of humans to begin with. You know, and I think that becomes bigger and bigger with the lack of any faith that there is a higher power and that, you know, there's an afterlife after you die. If you don't... If you've convinced yourself that you don't believe in that stuff, then it's going to be really simple to just say, I can do whatever I want. That mentality. And how far will it go before people start thinking, oh, well, I can I can just go murder people. I can do whatever I want. Is Are people going to be okay with that? Because they seem to be going in lockstep with this movement that thinks it's okay to do this to kids. You know, they're already trying to push the whole map, the minor attracted persons thing. You know, they don't want to be called pedophiles because it hurts their feelings. You know, I don't care. I'm going to hurt a hell of a lot more than your feelings if you try and touch my kids or do anything funky with them. Your hurt feelings are going to be the last thing you're going to have to worry about. And that's not a threat. That's a promise. I think we're making some mistakes with our energy policy in California. Well, sure. I mean, we have to first, again, be honest about how the fuel cycle, where things really come from, who's making them. I mean, China has, has global dominance at the moment on the supply chain of minerals needed for making batteries and the like. They have greater dominance than OPEC does on the oil side. So we're not being serious about competing there. So we're imposing on consumers policies that will do several things. Export jobs, as well as export emissions. Increase geopolitical vulnerabilities. Increase costs of the vehicles. And we're decreasing the reliability of one of the most critical infrastructures in the world, which is the electric grid. All of this, of course, is in service of cutting carbon dioxide emissions. But even if the United States and the world follows California and we get several hundred million electric vehicles, that doesn't cut global oil consumption by more than 10 percent. This is neither an existential threat to the oil industry, nor is it a path to zero emissions of carbon dioxide and the elimination of oil. Like I said, there's a big giant that we all have got to face. This is not just a story of David and Goliath. This is a fight for humanity. We've all got to be a David fighting against this giant, because this giant and his army is getting big. 
And uh, the really the only way to do it is just like David did, is ask God for the power to do it. Uh, unfortunately, you know, it's going to take being in uncomfortable situations here and there, but not backing down for what you know is right. So kind of with that as my uh, headline of this podcast, Facing the Giants, that is what we got to do, folks. We got to understand the battle we have to fight, give the praise to God, win or lose, because, I mean, if you, if you believe there is a higher power, that's where we're all hopefully striving to get to one day is back to the kingdom of heaven. Outside of this realm of what we understand as reality. And with that, I think that's where I'll probably end this podcast so it doesn't draw it out for another three hours. Like I say, I've got hundreds of those stupid things saved in my <laughs> file that, I mean, I could I could make episode after episode of just clips of that stuff and explain what the heck's going on with those. Because there are stories that go with all of these things as well. So, I mean... Literally, it just writes itself. So anyways, on this Sunday, uh, October 30th, I will bid you farewell and want to thank you for listening to the podcast. And I also would hope, I'm trying out some new software here on this. Uh, Hopefully it'll come out better because I did listen to one of my last podcasts and I was like, this audio is horrible. It's horrible. (laughs) So if you've you've been suffering through it... uh, I, I'm just apologizing now, and like I say, I'm trying to make it so it's at least not quite as hard on your ears to listen to, <laughs> because, you know, it's a little bit harder when I can't just sit here and talk and do different things, I'm trying to run the computer and, you know, make it, I'm trying to make it more professional, <laughs> I really am, but it is hard to do it when you're doing it by yourself as well, so anyways. Let's start looking at all the giants we have to battle against. And hopefully you'll tune in again next time for the Nielsen Show, where I'm trying to get better but still seem to never be getting there. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, this is me clocking out, uh, and see you next time.